Volume Two, Chapter Eleven of Rob Roy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter Eleventh. Baron of Berclivy, may the foul fiend drive ye, and all to pieces arrive ye, for building sick a tune where there's neither horse meat nor man's meat, nor a chair to sit down. Scottish popular rhymes on a bad inn. The night was pleasant, and the moon afforded us good light for our journey. Under her rays, the ground over which we passed assumed a more interesting appearance than during the broad daylight, which discovered the extent of its wasteness. The mingled light and shadows gave it an interest which naturally did not belong to it, and, like the effect of a veil flung over a plain woman, irritated our curiosity on a subject which had in itself nothing gratifying. The descent, however, still continued, turned, winded, left the more open heaths, and got into steeper ravines, which promised soon to lead us to the banks of some brook or river, and ultimately made good their presage. We found ourselves at length on the bank of a stream which rather resembled one of my native English rivers than those I had hitherto seen in Scotland. It was narrow, deep, still and silent, although the imperfect light, as it gleamed on its placid waters, showed also that we were now among the lofty mountains which formed its cradle. That's the forth, said the bailey, with an air of reverence which i have observed the scotch usually pay to their distinguished rivers the clyde the tweed the forth the spey are usually named by those who dwell on their banks with a sort of respect and pride and i have known duels occasioned by any word of disparagement i cannot say i have the least quarrel with a sort of harmless enthusiasm I received my friend's communication with the importance which he seemed to think appertained to it. In fact, I was not a little pleased, after so long and dull a journey, to approach a region which promised to engage the imagination. My faithful squire, Andrew, did not seem to be quite of the same opinion, for he received the solemn information, that is the fourth, with a, Ugh. An he had said that's a public case, it would have been mere to the purpose. The fourth, however, as far as the imperfect light permitted me to judge, seemed to merit the admiration of those who claimed an interest in its stream. A beautiful eminence of the most regular round shape, and clothed with copsewood of hazels, mountain ash and dwarf oak, intermixed with a few magnificent old trees, which, rising above the underwood, exposed their forked and bared branches to the silver moonshine, seemed to protect the sources from which the river sprung. If I could trust the tale of my companion, which, while professing to disbelieve every word of it, he told under his breath, and with an air of something like intimidation, this hill, so regularly formed, so richly verdant, and garlanded, with such a beautiful variety of ancient trees and thriving copsewood, was held by the neighbourhood to contain, within its unseen caverns, 
the palaces of the fairies, a race of airy beings, who formed an intermediate class between men and demons, and who, if not positively malignant to humanity, were yet to be avoided and feared on account of their capricious, vindictive, and irritable disposition. They call them, said Mr. Jarvie in a whisper, da Angers, which signifies, as I understand, men of peace, meaning thereby to make their good will, and we may e'en as we'll call them that too, Mr. Osbaldistone, for there's nae good in speaking ill of the laird within his ain bounds. But he added presently after, on seeing one or two lights which twinkled before us, it's deceits or Satan after our, and I fear not to say it, for we are near the mounts now, and yonder are the lights in the clucken of Aberfoyle. I own I was well pleased at the circumstance to which Mr. Jarvie alluded, not so much that it set his tongue at liberty, in his opinion, with all safety to declare his real sentiments with respect to the Daonshi, or fairies, as that it promised some hours repose to ourselves and our horses, of which, after a ride of fifty miles and upwards, both stood in some need. We crossed the infant forth by an old-fashioned stone bridge, very high and very narrow. My conductor, however, informed me that to get through this deep and important stream, and to clear all its tributary dependencies, the general pass from the highlands to the southward lay by what was called the Fords of Frew, at all times deep and difficult of passage, and often altogether unfordable. Beneath these fords there was no pass of general resort until so far east as the bridge of Stirling, so that the river of Forth forms a defensible line between the highlands and lowlands of Scotland, from its source nearly to the Firth, or inlet of the ocean, in which it terminates. The subsequent events which we witnessed led me to recall with attention what the shrewdness of Bailey Jarvie suggested in his proverbial expression, that, forth bridles the wild highlandman. About half a mile's riding, after we crossed the bridge, placed us at the door of the public-house, where we were to pass the evening. It was a hovel rather worse than better than that in which we had dined, but its little windows were lighted up, voices were heard from within, and all intimated a prospect of food and shelter, to which we were by no means indifferent. Andrew was the first to observe that there was a peeled willow wand placed across the half-open door of the little inn. He hung back, and advised us not to enter. For, said Andrew, some of their chiefs and great men are burling at the Uskaba inn by there, and dinna want to be disturbed and the least we'll get, if we gang ram stam in on them, will be a broken head to learn us better havings. If we dinna come by the length of a cool duck and a warm, will is just as likely. I looked at the bailie, who acknowledged in a whisper that the gowk had some reason for singing once in the year. Meanwhile, a staring half-clad wench or two came out of the inn and the neighbouring cottages, on hearing the sound of our horses' feet. 
no one bade us welcome nor did any one offer to take our horses from which we had alighted and to our various inquiries the hopeless response of ha neil sashenach was the only answer we could extract the bailey however found in his experience a way to make them speak english if i gie ye a bobby said he to an urchin of about ten years old with a fragment of a tattered plaid about him will you understand sashenach ay ay that will i replied the brat in very decent english then gang and tell your mammy my man there's ta sashenach gentleman come to speak wi her the landlady presently appeared with a lighted piece of split fir blazing in her hand the turpentine and the species of torch which is generally dug from out of the turf bogs makes it blaze and sparkle readily so that it is often used in the highlands in lieu of candles on this occasion such a torch illuminated the wild and anxious features of a female pale thin and rather above the usual size whose soiled and ragged dress though aided by a plaid or tartan screen barely served the purposes of decency and certainly not those of comfort her black hair which escaped in uncombed elf-locks from under her coif as well as the strange and embarrassed look with which she regarded us gave me the idea of a witch disturbed in the midst of her unlawful rites she plainly refused to admit us into the house we remonstrated anxiously and pleaded the length of our journey the state of our horses and the certainty that there was not another place where we could be received nearer than calendar which the bailey stated to be seven scots miles distant how many these may exactly amount to an english measurement i have never been able to ascertain but i think the double ratio may be pretty safely taken as a medium computation the obdurate hostess treated our expostulation with contempt better gang father than fair war she said speaking the scottish lowland dialect and being indeed a native of the lennox district her house was taken up with them would not like to be intruded on with strangers she didn't ken who mare might be there redcoats it might be frae the garrison these last words she spoke under her breath and with very strong emphasis the night she said was fair a boon head a night among the heather would colour our bloods we might sleep in our claws as mony a good blade does in the scabbard there was no muckle flomas in the shore if we took up our quarters right and we might pit up our horses to the hill nobody would say nothing against it but my good woman said i while the bailey groaned and remained undecided it is six hours since we dined and we have not taken a morsel since i am positively dying with hunger and i have no taste for taking up my abode supperless among these mountains of yours i positively must enter and make the best apology you can to your guests for adding a stranger or two to their number andrew you will see the horses put up the hecate looked at me with surprise and then ejaculated a wilful man will hae his way them that will to Cuba man to cooper to see thy english belly gods 
he has had a full meal the day already, and he'll venture life and liberty rather than he'll want the hit supper, said roasted beef and pudding on the opposite side of the pit or toffee, and an Englishman will mark a spang at it. But I wash my hands o't. Follow me, sir, to Andrew, and I'll show ye where to pit the beast. I own I was somewhat dismayed at my landlady's expressions, which seemed to be ominous of some approaching danger. I did not, however, choose to shrink back after having declared my resolution, and accordingly I boldly entered the house, and, after narrowly escaping breaking my shins over a turf back and a salting tub, which stood on either side of the narrow exterior passage, I opened a crazy, half-decayed door, constructed not of plank but of wicker, and, followed by the bailey, entered into the principal apartment of this Scottish caravansary. The interior presented a view which seemed singular enough to southern eyes. The fire, fed with blazing turf and branches of dried wood, blazed merrily in the centre, but the smoke, having no means to escape but through a hole in the roof, eddied round the rafters of the cottage, and hung in sable folds at the height of about five feet from the floor. The space beneath was kept pretty clear by innumerable currents of air which rushed towards the fire from the broken panel of basket-work which served as a door. From two square holes, designed as ostensible windows, through one of which was thrust a plaid, and through the other a tattered greatcoat, and, moreover, through various less distinguishable apertures in the walls of the tenement, which, being built of round stones and turf, cemented by mud, let in the atmosphere at innumerable crevices. At an old oaken table adjoining to the fire sat three men, guests apparently, whom it was impossible to regard with indifference. Two were in the highland dress, the one, a little dark-complexioned man, with a lively, quick, and irritable expression of features, wore the trues, or close pantaloons, wove out of a sort of chequered stocking-stuff. The bailey whispered me that he behoved to be a man of some consequence, for that nobody but their duan hair wassels wore the trues. They were ill to weave exactly to the highland pleasure. The other mountaineer was a very tall, strong man, with a quantity of reddish hair, freckled face, high cheekbones, and long chin, a sort of caricature of the national features of Scotland. The tartan which he wore differed from that of his companion, as it had much more scarlet in it, whereas the shades of black and dark green predominated in the checkers of the other. The third, who sate at the same table, was in the lowland dress. A bold, stout-looking man, with a cast of military daring in his eye and manner, his riding-dress showily and profusely laced, and his cocked hat of formidable dimensions. His hanger and a pair of pistols lay on the table before him. Each of the highlanders had their naked dirks stuck upright in the board beside him. An emblem, I was afterwards informed, but surely a strange one, that their computation was not to be interrupted by any brawl. A mighty pewter measure, 
containing about an english quart of usquebaugh a liquor nearly as strong as brandy which the highlanders distil from malt and drink undiluted in excessive quantities was placed before these worthies a broken glass with a wooden foot served as a drinking cup to the whole party and circulated with a rapidity which considering the potency of the liquor seemed absolutely marvellous these men spoke loudly and eagerly together sometimes in gaelic at other times in english another highlander wrapped in his plaid reclined on the floor his head resting on a stone from which it was only separated by a wisp of straw and slept or seemed to sleep without attending to what was going on around him he also was probably a stranger for he lay in full dress and accoutred with the sword and target the usual arms of his countrymen when on a journey cribs there were of different dimensions beside the walls formed some of fractured boards some of shattered wicker-work or plaited boughs in which slumbered the family of the house men women and children their places of repose only concealed by the dusky wreaths of vapour which arose above below and around them our entrance was made so quietly and the carouses i have described were so eagerly engaged in their discussions that we escaped their notice for a minute or two but i observed the highlander who lay beside the fire raise himself on his elbow as we entered and drawing his plaid over the lower part of his face fix his look on us for a few seconds after which he resumed his recumbent posture and seemed again to betake himself to the repose which our entrance had interrupted we advanced to the fire which was an agreeable spectacle after our late ride during the chillness of an autumn evening among the mountains and first attracted the attention of the guests who had preceded us by calling for the landlady she approached looking doubtfully and timidly now at us now at the other party and returned a hesitating and doubtful answer to our request to have something to eat she didn't ken she said she wasna sure there was anything in the house and then modified her refusal with the qualification that is anything fit for the like of us i assured her we were indifferent to the quality of our supper and looking round for the means of accommodation which were not easily to be found i arranged an old hen-coop as a seat for mr jarvie and turned down a broken tub to serve for my own andrew fairservice entered presently afterwards and took a place in silence behind our backs the natives as i may call them continued staring at us with an air as if confounded by our assurance and we at least i myself disguised as well as we could under an appearance of indifference any secret anxiety we might feel concerning the mode in which we were to be received by those whose privacy we had disturbed at length the lesser highlander addressing himself to me said in very good english and in a tone of great haughtiness ye make yourself at home sir i see i usually do so i replied when i come into a house of public entertainment and did she na see said the taller man by the white wand at the door 
that gentlemen's had taken up the public house on their rain business i do not pretend to understand the customs of this country but i am yet to learn i replied how three persons should be entitled to exclude all other travellers from the only place of shelter and refreshment for miles round there's nae reason for it gentlemen said the bailie we mean nae offence but there's neither law nor reason for it but as far as a stoop of good brandy would make up the quarrel we being peaceable folk would be willing damn your brandy sir said the lowlander adjusting his cocked hat fiercely upon his head we desire neither your brandy nor your company and up he rose from his seat his companions also arose muttering to each other drawing up their plaids and snorting and snuffing the air after the manner of their countrymen when working themselves into a passion i told ye what would come gentlemen said the landlady and ye would have been told get away with ye out of my house and make nae disturbance here there's nae gentleman to be disturbed at jeanie mccalpine's and she can hinder a fine idle english loons going about the country and decluding night and disturbing honest peaceable gentlemen that are drinking their trap drink at the fireside at another time i should have thought of the old latin adage dat venim corbus fixit censure columbus but i had not any time for classical quotation for there was obviously a fray about to ensue at which feeling myself indignant at the inhospitable insolence with which i was treated i was totally indifferent unless on the bailey's account whose person and qualities were ill qualified for such an adventure i started up however on seeing the others rise and dropped my cloak from my shoulders that i might be ready to stand on the defensive we are three to three said the lesser highlander glancing his eyes at our party if ye be pretty men draw and unsheathing his broadsword he advanced on me i put myself in a posture of defence and aware of the superiority of my weapon a rapier or small sword was little afraid of the issue of the contest the bailie behaved with the unexpected metal as soon as he saw the gigantic highlander confront him with his weapon drawn he tugged for a second or two at the hilt of his chapel as he called it but finding it loath to quit the sheath to which it had long been secured by rust and disuse he seized as a substitute on the red-hot coulter of a plough which had been employed in arranging the fire by way of a poker and brandished it with such effect that at the first pass he set the highlanders played on fire and compelled him to keep a respectful distance till he could get it extinguished andrew on the contrary who ought to have faced the lowland champion had i grieve to say it vanished at the very commencement of the fray but his antagonist crying fair play fair play seemed courteously disposed to take no share in the scuffle thus we commenced our rencontre on fair terms as to numbers my own aim was to possess myself if possible of my antagonist's weapon but i was deterred from closing 
for fear of the dirk which he held in his left hand, and used in parrying the thrusts of my rapier. Meantime the bailey, notwithstanding the success of his first onset, was sorely bested. The weight of his weapon, the corpulence of his person, the very effervescence of his own passions, were rapidly exhausting both his strength and his breath, and he was almost at the mercy of his antagonist, when up started the sleeping highlander from the floor on which he reclined, with his naked sword and target in his hand, and threw himself between the discomfited magistrate and his assailant, exclaiming, Her name, sir, has eaten the town bread at the cross of Glasgow, and pay her troth she'll fight for Bailey Sharvey at the clucken of Aberfoyle. Tart will she in. And seconding his words with deeds, this unexpected auxiliary made his sword whistle about the ears of his tall countrymen, who, nothing abashed, returned his blows with interest. But both being accoutred with round targets made of wood, studded with brass, and covered with leather, with which they readily parried each other's strokes, their combat was attended with much more noise and clatter than serious risk of damage. It appeared, indeed, that there was more of bravado than of serious attempt to do us any injury, for the lowland gentleman, who, as I mentioned, had stood aside for want of an antagonist when the brawl commenced, was now pleased to act the part of moderator and peacemaker. Hold your hands, hold your hands, enough, Don, enough, Don, the quarrel's no mortal. The strange gentlemen has shown themselves men of honour, and get reasonable satisfaction. I'll stand on mine honour as kiddle as ony man, but I hate unnecessary bloodshed. It was not, of course, my wish to protract the fray. My adversary seemed equally disposed to sheathe his sword. The bailey, gasping for breath, might be considered as hors de combat, and our two sword and buckler men gave up their contest with as much indifference as they had entered into it. And do said the worthy gentleman, who acted as his umpire. Let us drink and gree like honest fellows. The house will hold us all. I propose that this good little gentleman, that seems serer for fiffin, as I may say, and this deulzy, shall stand for a tuss of brandy, and I'll pay for another, by way of archie law. And then we'll bowl our borbies around boot, like brethren. And fast to pay my new pony plaid, said the larger Highlander, with a whole burdened, and might put a keel part through. Saw ever anybody, a decent gentleman, fight with a firebrand before? Let that be no hindrance, said the bailey, who had now recovered his breath, and was at once disposed to enjoy the triumph of having behaved with spirit, and avoid the necessity of again resorting to such hard and doubtful arbitrament. Can I have broken the head? he said. I'll find the plaster, a new plaid sally hay, and all the best, your ain clan collars, mon, and ye tell me where it can be sent to ye, frae Glasgow. I need na name my clan, I am of a king's clan as is weel kenned, said the Highlander. But you may tak a bit of the plaid. Fih! She smells like a singed sheep's head. And that'll learn you the set, and a gentleman that's a cousin of my ain, 
that Cardi's eggs doon from Glencraw will call fat about Martinmas, and ye will tell her where ye bide. But, honest gentleman, this time ye fight, ony high, ony respect for your adversary, let it be with your sword, man, since ye wear one, and not with the head culters and firebrands like a wild Indian. Conscience, replied the baby, every man mon do as he do. My sword has not seen the light since both will break, when my father that's died and gone war it, and I can well if it was father coming then either, for the battle was of the briefest. What any rate, it's gleed to the scabbard now, beyond my power to part them, and finding that I e'en grip it at the first thing I could make a fiend wi. I trow my fightin' days is done, though I like ill to take the scorn for all that. But with the honest lad that took my quarrel on himself, say frankly, I shall bestow a gil aquivite on him, and I should never call for another. The champion for whom he looked around was, however, no longer to be seen. He had escaped unobserved by the bailey immediately when the brawl was ended, yet not before I had recognised in his wild features and shaggy red hair our acquaintance Dougal, the fugitive turnkey of the Glasgow jail. I communicated this observation in a whisper to the bailey, who answered in the same tone, Well, well, I see that him that ye ken o said very right. There is some glimmering or common scent about that creature Dougal. I won't see him think of something will do him some good. Thus saying, he sat down, and fetching one or two deep aspirations by way of recovering his breath, called to the landlady. I think, Lucky, now that I find this nae hole in my wall, will I more reason to doubt find the doings of your house? I would be the better of something to put into it. The dame, who was all officiousness so soon as a storm had blown over, immediately undertook to broil something comfortable for our supper. Indeed, nothing surprised me more in the course of the whole matter than the extreme calmness with which she and her household seemed to regard the martial tumult that had taken place. The good woman was only heard to call to some of her assistants, "'Steak the door! Steak the door! Kill or be killed!' Let nobody pass out till they had paid the loan, and as for the slumberers in those lairs by the wall, which served the family for beds, they only raised their shirtless bodies to look at the fray, ejaculated, Ach! Ach! in the tones suitable to their respective sex and ages, and were, I believe, fast asleep again, ere our swords were well returned to their scabbards. Our landlady, however, now made a great bustle to get some victuals ready, and to my surprise, very soon began to prepare for us in the frying-pan a savoury mess of venison collops, which she dressed in a manner that might well satisfy hungry men, if not epicures. In the meantime, the brandy was placed on the table, to which the highlanders, however partial to their native strong waters, showed no objection, but much the contrary 
and the lowland gentleman, after the first cup had passed round, became desirous to know our profession and the object of our journey. "'We are bits of Glasgow bodies, if it please your honour, said the bailie with an affectation of great humility. "'Travelling to Stirling to get in some siller that is all in us.' I was so silly as to feel a little disconcerted at the unassuming account which he chose to give of us, but I recollected my promise to be silent, and allow the bailie to manage the matter his own way. And really, when I recollected, Will, that I had not only brought the honest man a long journey from home, which even in itself had been some inconvenience, if I were to judge from the obvious pain and reluctance with which he took his seat, or arose from it, but had also put him within a hair's breadth of the loss of his life, I could hardly refuse him such a compliment. The spokesman of the other party, snuffing up his breath through his nose, repeated the words with a sort of sneer, "'Your Glasgow trades folk ain't nothing to do, but to gang frae the tae end o' the west o' Scotland to the other, to plague honest folks that may chance to be away ahint the hand like me.' If our debtors were all sick, honest gentlemen, as I believe you to bear, Garshatachin, replied the bailie, conscience, we might save ourselves a labour, for they would come to seek us. Eh? What? How? exclaimed the person whom he had addressed. As I live by bread, not forgetting beef and brandy, it's my old friend, Nicol Jarvie. The best man I ever counted down makes on a bond till a distressed gentleman. Where are you now coming up my way? Where are you now coming up the Endrick to Garshatachin? Troth no, Maister Galbraith, replied the bailie. I had other eggs on the spit, and I thought you would be saying I came to look about the annual rent that's due on that bit heritable bond that's between us. Down the annual rent? said the lad, with an appearance of great heartiness. Deal what the business with you or I speak, now that you're so near my country. To see how a trot cosy and a Joseph can disguise a man, that I certainly ken my old feel friend the deacon. The belly, if you please, resumed my companion, but I ken what guards your mistake. The bond was granted to my father that's happy, and he was deacon, but his name was Nicol as well as mine. I didn't mind that there's been a payment of principal sum or any rent on it in my day, and doubtless that has made the mistake. Well, the devil take the mistake, and all that occasioned it, replied Mr. Galbraith. But I'm glad you are a belly. Gentlemen, Phil Abrimma, this is my excellent friend, Bailey Nicol Jarvie's health. I kenned him and his father these twenty years. Are ye a cleared kilty aff, Phil another? Here's to his been seen provost. I say provost, Lord provost Nicol Jarvie. And them that affirms, there's a man walks the he street of Glasgow that's fitter for the office. They will do well not to let me, Duncan Galbraith of Garshatachin, hear them say so, that's all. And therewith Duncan Galbraith 
martially cocked his hat and placed it on one side of his head with an air of defiance the brandy was probably the best recommendation of their complimentary toasts to the two highlanders who drank them without appearing anxious to comprehend their purport they commenced a conversation with mr galbraith in gaelic which he talked with perfect fluency being as i afterwards learned a near neighbour to the highlands i kenned that scant grace weel enough frae the very outset said the bailie in a whisper to me but when blood was warm and swords were out at any rate who kens what way he might have thought o' paying his debts it will be lang he does it in common form but he's an honest lad and has a warm heart too he doesna come often to the cross o' glasgow but morning a book and blackcock he sends us do frae the hills and i can want my silly weel enough my father the deacon had a greater regard for the family of garshatterton supper being now nearly ready i looked round for andrew fairservice but that trusty follower had not been seen by any one since the beginning of the rencontre the hostess however said that she believed our servant had gone into the stable and offered to light me to the place saying that no entreaties of the barons or hers could make him give any answer and that truly she cared na to gang into the stable herself at this hour she was a lone woman and it was weel kenned who the brownie of benny gask guided the good wife at arnogon and it was a judged there was a brownie in our stable which was just which guard me gie over keeping in a hostler as however she lighted me towards the miserable hovel into which they had crammed our unlucky steeds to regale themselves on hay every fibre of which was as thick as an ordinary goose-quill she plainly showed me that she had another reason for drawing me aside from the company than that which her words implied read that she said slipping a piece of paper into my hand as we arrived at the door of the shed i bless god i'm rid o't between sodgers and saxons and catarans and cattle-lifters and herrship and bloodshed an honest woman would live quieter in hell than on the heeland line so saying she put the pine torch into my hand and returned into the house end of volume two chapter eleven recording by felicity campbell whanganui new zealand